it was talking about making decisions in you know high high stress and dynamic environments and said that your you know basically your solutions need to be as simple as they can be but not simpler right and so put the wet stuff on the red stuff that's that's too simple but it shouldn't be much more difficult than that firehouse vigilance presents the weekly scrap a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, Weekly Scrap number 162. He is a firefighter with the Everett Fire Department in Washington. Been a firefighter for 13 years. He teaches engine company operations for Brothers in Battle, the Snohomish Fire Training Academy, West Coast Fire Training. If you want to see some really awesome live fire video, West Coast Fire Training, check him out on YouTube. If you have not read his stuff, do yourself a favor. Go to ECR and search for Jay Bonifield. Then go read some great information because this man loves to share information. Last, but honestly most important, he is a husband and father. Four kids, right? Four. Yeah. Four. It is my pleasure Jay Bonifield, to have you on as the guest of Weekly Scrap number 162. Awesome. Thanks, man. Pleasure to pleasure to be here again and always good to good to chat with you. So yeah, that was uh intro was was right on there. And uh yeah, man, four four kids. My wife and I were just talking about it the other day, like, how the heck did that happen? <laughs> just blinked. Just blinked and all yeah, all of a sudden it's just chaos and anarchy going on outside. So I'm up, up, uh, sheltered in the playroom up here, and uh, yeah, I can I can hear the kids. There's I, there's roller skates, baseball bats, and uh, um, cricket rackets that are being used as swords out there, and they're like jousting right now. So I'm sure, <laughs> just a hint I, of I'm danger. I'm sure there will be blood. <laughs> right, right, just a hint of danger. Uh, I really do appreciate you giving me your evening, and uh, especially with the kiddos and everything like that. Is there anything I missed in the intro? Anything you would like to add? No, man, that's uh, that's it. Just I had it that you were on Engine One. I believe uh, Engine One. Are you still rocking Engine One, or did you move? Nope, still rocking. Uh, still rocking the big, the big. Uh, we call it the Rucker Rocket. So we're on. Okay. On uh, Engine One downtown there, and man, been there for been there for a while, and uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. So good, busy, busy rig, and and uh, sleep is is uh not one of our fortes but it's it's a lot of fun to ride so we got great crews there and and uh you know busy busy station keeps us all occupied and and uh man the the guys are second to none there so one thousand percent uh audience please get your questions ready for jay and myself this is going to be a rock and roll and i mean i me and Jay can sit and have like a breakfast and talk for two or three hours on some nerdy, nerdy stuff. And uh, so this is going to be an exciting scrap if you're into that kind of thing. Brandon Pfaff says, let's go with three exclamations. Gigi Galasso is here saying, good evening, gents. Uh, going to be another great snap uh, scrap coming from Jason Schneider. That's where the snap came from. Uh, love it. Yes, let's go from Taylor Turner. Okay, so hype people are getting in. And this is the best part. Kyle is here. Uh, he is going to grab, type your questions in the chat because Kyle is going to pull them out. And that's the best part about this uh, is because he really does find the best questions. But even better than that, he sent this. I'm in. I have a few questions for Jay. I already typed up because that's how exciting this is to have Jay on here. Even Kyle's amped up to, to get it in. So uh, where was I at? 
Oh yeah, sponsors. We're gonna do that. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Key Hose. Check them out on Facebook. The Hose Experts. Speed Swivel, the solution for stolen and vandalized sprinkler and standpipe connections. Check them out always. Speedswivel.com. Affordable drill towers, firefighter owned and operated. The only thing that you can't do in an affordable drill tower is live fire. Affordable drill tower. You can repel, stretch hose lines, go through the stairs, go through the floor, do window bailouts, cut holes in the roof props, use the apartment balconies, pump into the FDC, or flow water from the sprinkler system. Call Steve, 844-55-TOWER, or drop an email, info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Last but not least, Fit to Fight Fire. Man, I love John Spear, everything he does. Uh, I'm I'm wearing wearing a shirt right now. Rocking? Yes, perfect. There we go. Uh, huge fan of everything he does. He believes our level of fitness and training will make the difference between life and death for others. And it's, it's just, you can't argue with that mission statement. Uh, providing us the purpose and discipline to consistently train. Head on over to fittofightfire.com to prepare and become, to be a part of the community where you will get a daily workout and so much more. Fittofightfire.com. And I got to do this, and it goes out to my brother from North Carolina, Alexander Alves, happy birthday, my man. And that's it. We're ready to rock and roll. <laughs> I just got a I just got a text, a screenshot from uh my my Southern Bell, Zach King down in uh Austin Fire down there. So yes. shout uh, to Zach. He he's originally from from up here, so I'm gonna claim I'm gonna claim rights to him, but uh we're loaning him to Texas, so He's uh he's on loan right now. I didn't know he was a Pac Northwest guy. Oh yeah, yeah. No, if uh if you get him alone, cut him away from everybody else when he's uh wearing his uh ten whatever, the ten gallon the, the the big hats and the and the spurs and the boots and all that kind of stuff, you get him away and he'll throw on his Birkenstocks and and uh get real real picky about his coffee just like the rest of us up here, so Love it. Love it. Okay. No, I didn't know that about Zach. That's awesome. Okay. Manny Barajas has the first question coming at you, and I wanted to throw it at you real quick before we get deep into it. He said, question one, will you ever promote? <laughs> uh, man, well, I don't know if that's up to me, but uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I took our I took our last uh, promotional there and, uh, you know, did, did, um, did pretty well on it, so just kind of hanging out, you know, and we'll, we'll see if that's in the cards for me, if my, if my name gets called, but, uh, you know, it's, it's something, um, I'm not, you know, I'm in a great place where I've got a awesome crew and I love what I do. And, you know, I could ride backwards on the fire engine for the rest of my career and be totally happy. Um, but you know, uh, promoting up into the company officer position is, is, uh, definitely a new challenge and, and it's something I've been, um, you know, lucky enough to do a lot of acting over, over the summer. I've been pretty much in it filling company officer positions all summer long. And, uh, it's been a really good, really good new challenge for me. You know, you do something, uh, in one domain and, uh, you know, one headspace for a long time. And it's just good to look at the, at the same job from a little bit of a different angle. Um, you know, and I remember it was kind of funny. I was talking to, talking to some folks about, uh, my first, my first acting shift, my riding up and, uh, hopping on the rig that day, I throw my gear on the rig, relieve the guy, uh, the other, the captain that was off going there. 
and uh, you know I had an awesome crew. I couldn't have asked for a better crew for my first my first time in the seat. And uh, I got this feeling as I was logging the rig in and going through all those kind of morning steps there. Uh, it kind of reminded me a lot of when my wife and I got you know you have your first baby and they the they had nurse or whatever you're on your way out you're gonna leave and go home from the hospital and they like hand you your baby in the car seat for the first time and you're like oh shoot like this is on me you know responsible for this now (laughs) i gotta raise this kid and (laughs) it kind of reminded me a little bit of a little bit of that i was kind of gut check in the morning but um you know i i am uh it's definitely helped it's definitely helped to, um, you know, be excited for a new challenge and, and also, you know, just learning that, man, you really got to trust your people. I mean, I'm privileged to work with some very, very experienced people and, uh, you know, they, they see good calls on a regular basis and they know how to handle them. And so, um, it definitely kind of, it's very comforting knowing that you, you work with good people. So, uh, that's definitely eased the transition a little bit, you know, that initial like, Oh, it's all on me. And then you realize like, no, it's not, man, it's, it's a team effort and we're going to, we're going to be just fine. And we will see how the process plays out. So not many people I moved to the front of the line, but anytime Brian brush asks a question, I move him to the front of the line and Brian brush wants to know, Jay, what is the most glaring disconnect you see in taught fire behavior versus actual fire behavior from your program? What from your program feedback? The most glaring disconnect. Um, so, I mean, there's a there's a few different ways you could go with that. Uh, couple couple right out of, right out of the gate are um, so like uh, I'm trying to organize how I want to approach this one. So, right on, right on. Different, different structures depending on the, the type of structure that you're teaching fire behavior in and, and whatnot, um, there can definitely be some, so like a one in the spectrum, you've got uh, maybe like a class. Now, are you saying cl- classroom structure? Or are you saying fire building construction structure? Like fire building. Okay. Okay. So, That's what I wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the type of structure that you're, that you're putting the li- the live fire environment in. So, um, you know, you can have concrete burn buildings, you can have connex boxes, you can have acquired structures, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's, um, I kind of look at it like a, a little bit like the fire growth curve, like it's all kind of on a spectrum, right? And they each do a good job of teaching different things differently. The problem is when uh, you'll have people try to simulate a live fire environment in one of those type of structures, and they try to paint it like it's the whole spectrum of what they're going to see in the field. And so there's a, like, they each have their strengths and weaknesses. Con- Connex boxes are really good at high repetition uh and now there's a few things that they do there's a few things they don't do super well um and you you can do some things like fdtn does some great work with with uh you know how they layer the boxes and how they do build out with you know osb and sheetrock and all that kind of right you can put some work into them to get them a little bit closer, but the the bonus with a Connex box system is it's going to be high repeatability. You get uh, you get a lot of heat, you get a lot of repetitions, all that kind of stuff. But what you don't get, um, even if you do a lot of build out with them, is you don't get um, super realistic angles 
within the building and layouts and all that kind of stuff, which that plays that, you know, you get, um, you can stack them together and you can kind of put man doors in them and whatnot, but you're not going to get like super realistic layouts, which that when you're talking about water placement, water mapping can really make an effect downstream, right? The fire behavior specific for, for the fire behavior specifically, if you are demonstrating fire behavior in like a concrete burn building, you're getting, you know, contents fire, you're getting uh, more often than not, it's a very lean fire behavior. Uh, and so you're kind of missing uh, the the rich to lean fire development and some of that, that like rich to lean flashover that's really hard to show within that kind of environment. And so, but that's one of the, one of the things that we have to make sure if we're teaching somebody that they've seen that in order to see the full spectrum, uh, Connex boxes, you can get away with it a little bit more, but with Connex boxes, they are so, uh, just because of the nature of the metal and all that kind of stuff, there's so much that the surfaces are so exothermic that, um, it does kind of create a, a pace of fire development that can be a little bit a little bit misleading and it's hard to get that like rich to lean uh light off whereas in an acquired structure you're going to have a lot less repetition but you're going to be able to demonstrate that that rich to lean light off and actual pace and rate of change a little bit more accurately inside an acquired structure as opposed to the other ones that doesn't mean that the other ones aren't valuable because that repetition like repetition in heat, repetition in limited visibility, repetition on contents fires, repetition on on um, like landmarks such as that fire is extending beyond the room of origin and how, you know, for for, for me, that's a, a trigger point of hey, sure. flowing and moving is going. Once that fire starts extending beyond the room of origin, I want everybody to walk away with that's when that push is going to be, you know, your, your go-to that, um, you know, 10 to 20 feet outside the fire room, cut your angle, boom, and then flow and move down towards the, down towards the fire room there. And then couple that with a realistic layout where that, you know, you're, you're talking about approaches that are perpendicular onto rooms, or you're talking about like one of the things that's really hard to simulate inside any sort of a, uh, a fixed facility that's not an acquired structure is um, living rooms. Because those fixed facilities are they they're good at hallways, they're good at hallways and bedrooms off of the hallways. Um, but we missed a lot of the bigger spaces, the living rooms and the kitchens and so on and so forth. And and really like those are those are kind of the a a fighting a fire down a hallway into a bedroom is kind of like uh, bowling with the guardrails up, like. You, you kind of can't, you kind of almost can't go wrong with it, you know? Um, and so that, that's a, that's kind of an easier, that's kind of an easier fire in my experience. It's the ones where you're talking about like bigger spaces where there's not confinement and compartmentalization okay. in between them, right? You're talking about like living rooms, ki- kitchen extending to the living room, meet you at the front door. And so when you get into that front door, you've got a lot of fire 90 degrees left, right downrange in front of you. And then you've got to make, you, you know, you've got to make that approach through that doorway into the kitchen. That's that. That's a different type of fire than a, a fight in a hallway down to a 90 degree angle. Right. So, but those things are, I, you know, I kind of hope I, I didn't rabbit trail too much there with that one. But I oh, did. I'm loving it, man. Already. That's that's where that's where you get a little bit of a disconnect there. And in my experience, like my first fire behavior classes, they were all taught in um, uh 
you know, concrete burn buildings. And so we were, we were taught, we were taught to utilize a lot of visual aids in like using, using our eyes to key in on when to flow water and all of that kind of stuff. Everything was very visual. Right. 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 Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about like, you know, kind of my first fire a little bit later there, but what I quickly found out was reliance on vision is it's possible, but it's not necessarily probable even. And so you have to be very careful that you're not just, you're not just arming people with a sight line in order to make decisions off of, because you don't always have a sight line. Right. No, I love it, dude. Already, man. Uh, the, the weeds is already getting good, man. All right. I'm gonna catch you up with what people are saying. Uh, Tony Nunez said, good evening, brothers. Let's do some fireman shoot. I like it. Manu, Manny Barajas says, his recommendation for the batting cage approach is spot on. Uh, using a burn barrel with a backside vent is very intriguing. Uh, Greg Redman said, my answer is that Jay and others teach the shit the right way, so I guess there's not much disconnect. That is a very good, a very good evaluation, from what I understand, since I've not got to take your class personally. Uh... All right, I'm just catching you up. I don't want to miss anything. Yes. Okay, now I love this question coming at you here, and it builds right off everything else. Uh, and it's coming from Kyle Romagus, so you know it's good. Jay, oh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, Manny posted a cartoon rendition of a building fire with a three-man engine arriving first due with victims trapped. Don't know if you saw it or not, but it was a, it was a pretty, pretty good-looking cartoon. Uh, your explanation of the consequences of leaving the fire unchecked and attempting the rescue was pure gold. Can you elaborate on that mindset? Yeah, so... Um, I wish I had the picture. I wish I had the cartoon. If someone has a link to it, post it or send it message it to me, and I'll post it in the chat. But go ahead. Yeah, no, it was good. It was, you know, it's a good discussion to have and, and kind of right in right in the wheelhouse. I, I think of a couple of important things that are, are really like easy discussions to have as a crew. There's a, a couple of scenarios you want to have down in my opinion, as a, as a crew, they're like good icebreakers, all that kind of stuff. One of them is, Hey, what do we do when we bump into a nozzle or bump into a victim with the, with the nozzle? Right. And that's one like right out of the gate, you, you know, you walk into a crew fresh for the first time. Like if I'm out, out, you know, acting or something like that and we want to do, and I can't think of, something we're going to do for a drill or whatever. And I want to break some ice with the crew. One of the first things is, is that question right there. Cause that that's going to spur a lot of really good discussion. Um, you know, and then a, another thing would be that basically that fire, which the picture that he showed was one bedroom, one, uh, one window of fire showing on floor two. It was like the Bravo side of the building. Um, you know, obviously the fire started on floor two and it's one room of fire. And so that, you know, and the, I can't remember if he said that there was a report of victims trapped upstairs. I, I think it, I think it was that there was a report of victims trapped and, and essentially what the crux of it was is, are you going to, you know, this, are you going to forego extinguishment? Right. Go and, and pull off the search. Right. What my answer was that there's, there's absolutely zero reason on a, floor two fire that started on floor two that is on floor two you got one window of fire there's zero reason why you know any three person and above company can't stretch a line into the stairwell 
call for water and extinguish the fire and have somebody branch off and go and either isolate the room and take the victim out the window or pull the pull the victim down. I mean, it's just a, it's, it's not, you do not have to choose. You do not have to choose one or the other. Um, and, and really like in that, in that play, yes, you are choosing extinguishment, you know, and the extinguishment you're, you're doing them simultaneously but, you know, you're kind of choosing extinguishment and then, you know, branch off and go and get that get that search of that that person. Right. And I think one of the one of the things I find kind of a little bit like mildly hypocritical is, you know, if we're going to say like when it comes to vacant buildings, somebody says, oh, the building's vacant, everybody's out of there, blah, 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 blah. Right. If we're going to say that we don't trust people when we show up, we don't trust people that the building like it's. It's ve- it's clear when we say it's clear is what we want to say, right? We're not going to trust people saying the building's all clear and take their word for it. Right. Hey, man, I agree with that. Yep, we're going to go and search. We're going to go and search and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's kind of mildly hypocritical, I think, to all to say on the flip side of that, that uh, if, some, if we show up and somebody says, hey, I think there's somebody or whatever, there's somebody in that room right there, we forego fire attack in order to just go off of the the word that they say that there's somebody in that room right there we're going to forego fire attack in order to go after that person and and what you're sacrificing or potentially sacrificing is you know if we're saying on one hand they could be wrong which they are a lot of times they are people move right they're not where they thought they'd be there it like this is all when it comes to the everybody's out of the structure conversation these are all points that have been brought up at nauseum that you know, people move, they're not where they think they are, they're stressed out, they forget all of those things. Well, that same thing, we have to be consistent that the same conversa- conversation pieces need to come up in this discussion where, you know, hey, if I forego water and I get up there and that person is not in the place where I, where I was reported they were going to be, I'm probably writing that person off. I mean, not not like I'm writing them off, but like I probably just wrote their death certificate. Right. To be right. Now at this point, now I'm I don't have a hose on. I don't have any ability to knock down the fire, and that 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 fire is now extending up there, and I'm probably not going to be able to get back out into those common places in order to go get that person. So I just, you know, it's you don't have to choose one or the other. There, one firefighter can stretch a line into a stairwell, call for water. And then knock it out from the stairs. I mean, you really, it's not a hard fire. And one window of fire for any single firefighter in the, in, in the country, that should be something that is totally doable. I mean, from, the, from, the, from three stairs down in the stairwell, you're going to be able to hit every room in that top stair, in that top floor in the picture that he painted there. Use your reach of your stream, knock it out, and have your number two, uh, whoever's backing you up, go up and start searching for that person and get them out of there. But shut the problem down so that we can get the search off. That way, we create a margin for error for ourselves. Oh, dude, I cannot say about it. That's so good, man. So good. Uh, can uh, Anthony Cassana said, can I remove the IDLH faster than I can remove the person, or will it be quicker to remove the person from the IDLH? Uh, yeah, and, and that's a good, a great point, AC. And like, AC is one of the, uh, he's one of our, one of our boys from up here. He's okay, okay, solid as they come, man. That guy is, uh, he's a uh, spitting fire all the time, and and just as gung ho, and and uh, man, I'd have him, I'd have him on my rig any day. But uh, you know, there's, there, there is a a certain amount of. 
you know, you want, you want to, yeah, I want to shut down the IDLH. I want to eliminate the heat, vent the smoke, all of that kind of stuff. I want to locate the person. And I also want to have a margin for error for if there's more than one person, right? Like you go on the, you know, firefighter rescue survey, right? And you can pull up the stats about how it likely, if you find one person, there's more and all that stuff, right? And I don't want to just have this, uh, you know, I'm banking all in that there's one person that that person is right here in this room, that this person under stress and duress is going to tell me exactly where they are. Like I want I want to be able to give myself a little bit of buffer for, you know, for those situations where there are more than one person, because if, if I don't, then essentially, again, I'm, I'm kind of writing their writing, writing their death certificate because I'm trying to put too many eggs in one basket. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, I'm going to keep throwing stuff at you because it's coming hot and fresh. Uh, Kyle Romagus says, Jay, and we, we, I love it because it ties back into the structure you were talking about earlier. What are some things that can be done during the prep of an acquired structure to ensure that many burns can be achieved before it begins to deteriorate? Mm, yeah. So kind of what, what we go for uh, in our building prep is we're going to, we use a lot of um, we use a lot of OSB for prep work, and so that you know we we played around with sheetrock and all that kind of stuff. And what what sheetrock ends up with is it gets really brittle. It gets brittle, and the stream comes in. It just totally like carves it up and ends up with a lot of uh, you you end up with just so much like slop on the ground afterwards, and so much extra overhaul that it's really not not worth so we'll leave the building as is right you've got the just the normal sheetrock like is in this room right here right right i was like burning in this in this corner and i decided like i'm going to load my fuel in this corner then what i would do in this corner is i would reinforce it with a layer with a layer of osb on the ceiling on the walls uh and then i would i would uh kind of take that osb and i'd kind of run that osb towards the door that i want i want fire to kind of blow out okay you know really you want those those upper two thirds uh or sorry the upper third of the kind of that corridor that i want the fire to really feed down i want to give it some fuel going down those uh that corridor there with some some osb and so, um, you know, look at the common areas. Like if you have three bedrooms in a hall, a common hallway between the three bedrooms, that hallway is going to get beat. And so you want to be able to reinforce it uh, with some OSB and especially in those seams in the upper in the upper uh, edges there. And you want the OSB to be, um, you know, it's going to have about two burns is what you're going to get out of okay. it to tear it out and then and then put new stuff in. If you let it go too too long, um, it's not necessarily the degradation. Of, it, it, you can get degradation, but it's more that it's not contributing as fuel now to that environment. And so OSB, you know, I call it like candy, right? It's candy for the fire. It kind of creates a lot more of that like snottier, nastier, rich uh, vent controlled. You, you know, if you add a little bit of that OSB, you end up now too much and you end up with a kind of an unrealistic rate of development uh too much osb you end up with like a, it's just a really uh there's not enough there's not enough like sustained seat flame and like sustained heat on the seat it develops too fast and so what it's almost end- too much heat release rate and it's just all the fuels just ate up 
Yeah, but it's too the fuel's too light. So what you want to get is a good mixture. You uh, when you're doing class A burns, you want to get a good mixture of pallets are really good at containing a lot of heat at the seat and and kind of driving that OSB. You want the OSB to kind of light off secondary. Okay. And so you do like a mixture of pallets a lot, you know, a bunch of pallets and OSB on the seat. And what that's going to do is you want to light that in a way that you get a good sustained, like deep seated burn within those pallets first before it starts extending to the OSB. Because when you do it that way and it's kind of like you're doing one and then the other, what you end up getting is you, you end up getting a fire that responds to your nozzle and your stream a lot more accurately to the real world which is it's not just going to necessarily like leap off of your stream as soon as your as soon as your stream punches into it with when you've got too much OSB and the OSB goes too fast that OSB creates a lot of gas gas flame extinguishes so th- there will be a difference between like the gas flame and the seat flame right the the gas flame that's extending off of that seat flame that gas flame extinguishes super fast like you it's it's all surface fuel that gas flame and so as soon as you open up your nozzle, boom, that stuff's going to kind of get get hit and get knocked out pretty quick. But it's that sustained seat flame that's driving the gas problem. That's the that's what you really want to be able to uh, to have on the back end of that to kind of sustain that burn to make it make that nozzle work for it a little bit more. And so that seat flame is limited. It can essentially like the old rule of thumb that I learned was that seat flame can extend one and a half times the height of the ceiling. And so the, that seat flame is like the clean burning, leaner, it's it's closer to the fire. It's the actual seat of the fire extending out of the room. It can extend about one and a half times the height of the ceiling. That gas flame is going to be like that dirtier, uh, it's that dirtier flame that's kind of crawling off of that. And through and so that's more of that smoke burning and so that's going to go out a lot faster and then that seat flame though that's not going to actually extinguish until your nozzle makes that angle on the seat right right and so that's what you want to you want to be able to have both of those parts working accurately and if you burn that gas flame off too fast then it's just going to be it, that fire is just going to go out it's going to go out really quickly and it's not going to actually make you work for it I love this dude. If you're if you're a fire nerd, man, this is like the shit. Um does it does it uh like doubling up like you know back you know always doubling up on sheetrock and all that kind of stuff. Does it help to double up on the OSB and give you more burns or is it a diminishing returns? No, it's diminishing returns. So we played around with that a bunch. Doubling it up really what it makes it is more overhaul work because it's not going to burn. It's it chars the outside of the OSB. And then, and then it's kind of, it's kind of going to slow down your your uh, fuel contribution mm-hmm. chars, right? And so doubling it up is just going to add to that, and it's going to make it. You're going to tear it all off. So what we do is we typically factor two burns for a room, and we're talking burns where the room, the entire room is going to flash over, right? Okay. And flash over is defined as for for us, the floor is burning. So in order for a room to flash over mechanically, the floor has to burn. So what you'll see is that upper, a lot of people like they see, you know, rollover in the upper upper levels. Okay, cool. There's fire up there, but that room is not flashed over. You you feel a massive jump as soon as the floor lights off because the top level is going to be burning and it's going to be a lot of that radiant light source energy is going to be hitting the ground. That floor is going to start off gassing. When the floor off gases, that's the precursor to, hey, the room's about ready to light off. As soon as that floor starts to burn, 
you'll see this big kick. And when that flashover happens, it'll kick a bunch of heat out in the hallway, but you know, and all that kind of stuff. You can see it when you're out in the living room. Boom. It just comes rolling down the hallway. Like, Massive oh, yeah. increase in the velocity and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're ending up now with energy that's now from all of those directions kicking down that hallway, as opposed to just kind of unidirectional over the top. And so that's what you want is you want the floor to burn in order to do that. You have to have, so much fuel in that room to drive that flashover. Um, and so when, when we do two burns after that second burn, and especially when you're making that push down the hallway and you're talking about water, you know, whatever, 20, 30 seconds of extinguishment, uh, you know, 160 gallons a minute, you, you end up doing that a couple of times. That room now needs to settle for a bit and we need to dry it out because if we can't dry the floor out, then we can't flash the room over. Right on, right on. Right. So you got to kind of let it sit, go to a different room. We also run into problems with like second floor fires where if we start burning on on floor two, we're like, yeah, we're going to get after some floor two fires. And then later on in the day, we want to go down to floor one and start burning on floor one. And we realize like, oh, some of our water went, went down and it got the floor wet on floor one. That's going to throw us off because now you can't make the room flash over. Which is which is a, a a very vital thing to lock away in the back of your brain that if the floor is soaking wet, the room cannot flash. Yeah, it can't. I mean, is that is that safe to say? If according yeah. to your experiential experiences, mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah. The, if the floor is wet, if the floor can't burn, then you can't get flash over in that room. Boom. Uh, what I what I, uh, when you talk about uh, the floor uh, package, are you, is there carpet? Is it just OSB? What are we talking about when you say the floor off-gassing and burning? Yeah, so we, um, you know, we've done... Not to, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we, we've done both in there. So, you know, there's there's a difference between, like, a, a true NFPA 1403 right. burn. That's kind of where I was heading. I was wondering, like, like how do you get around certain restrictions mm-hmm. slash, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, there's, I won't go into, like test burns or anything like that but the a true nfpa 1403 compliant burn you know we've got to we've got to remove the carpet right which that that's fine the floor you're still talking about a wood floor right we're still going to have wood subfloor all that kind of stuff and so you're still going to get uh you're still going to be able to drive that room to flash over okay not doing it with with carpet and so um you know having having pallets having osb like all of these 1403 compliant materials you're still getting uh, you're still getting all of that. You're just, you know, sometimes you have to work a little bit harder for it, but it's it's totally doable. Right. Okay. No, and that's not my intention. Someone said, "Don't pin him down like that, Chief." Like that's not my intention at all. Because I oh, really, no, no, you just, yeah, you're I, good. I love digging into it because, like, if is, is it possible to coat the floor in OSB? You know, just like the, you would the the hallway to get you some more of those realistic conditions as you as you learn and expand your knowledge. Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of say this is like a little bit of a little bit of a caveat, right? Because I talked a lot about OSB, and you know, I don't want like somebody to walk away with taking notes, be like, "Oh, here's how I'm going to structure our." You, you know, this is this is this is just kind of some experience that that I've gained using these materials, right? And one thing I will absolutely caution everybody with 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 OSB and burning is um, it can make everything take off really fast, and so you you have to have you know, 1403 compliance and you have to have people that know exactly what they're doing. And it takes more than one person like this is one of the biggest things that I've learned in, in all of this kind of stuff is um, you have to have more than one person that is, you know, very well versed in 
uh, when you're doing acquired structures in acquired structure burns because if it's all on one person there's going to be there's going to be gaps and we've had gaps before where hey you use too much the the scariest rooms to me are the ones where it's 100% fresh osb and there's too much of it like when there's too much fresh osb that room makes me very nervous to light off because it's going to go very 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 quickly there's going to be a lot of gas flame and and we've gotten you know we've had some um some you know near misses and stuff like that with with rooms like that um, Derek Roberts, one of my, you know, really good buddies up here, uh, him and I, him and I got, um, you know, caught in a hallway on, on a room that was a, a freshie like that. And it, it really scared the crap out of us. So, right. um, I, I, I want to really make sure to caution everybody with that, that it's not just a matter of like plugging in a bunch of OSB and all that kind of stuff. It, it's not that it's there. You use them, uh, you, you know, you want to use them in conjunction with each other because they are 1403 compliant, but you do not want to use too much OSB because it, w- it you will, that's a good way to get, uh, to get somebody hurt by using too sure. much stuff. It's almost like, does it almost get past uh, modern fuel heat release rates when you get to that point? Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. And that's, that's scary enough. Um, Zach King chimed in and said, what's up Rev? So. Just had to throw him in there because we talked about him earlier. I don't know if he was in here when we were talking about him earlier. Zach, my, uh, he was he was here. He knows. <laughs> uh, William Van Brenner wants to know if you – and here's the deal. We had a list of questions we were going to go over, and we haven't even got to them yet. That's the crazy <laughs> part. We're just going through audience questions, and it's been phenomenal. Uh, so William Van Brenner wants to know if you know there's an entrapment and it appears to be just the single-bedroom fire mentioned – do you trust a can to get a knockdown so you can focus more effort to the search, or do you still go with the inch and three quarter? I mean, pull, if, if I'm on a truck company, I don't have an inch and three quarter, then you know I'm going to take the can in and, and uh, do what I do what I can, right? Right. But uh, no, if I, if I can pull an inch and three quarter line in there, it's it's totally within the capabilities uh, and should be of, you know, every three person above engine company in the, in the country to be able to stretch an inch and three quarter line within a few seconds into a, you know, cause really that situation, it was a floor two fire that started on floor two. Right. And so floor one's going to be clear. No, like we don't have to play the what if game and this and that, and the other, if floor one's not clear, then the fire did not start on floor two. Then you have other problems, right? In which case you're, yeah, you're going to want that, uh, uh, you're going to want that inch and three quarter line, but I got to uh, do the Kurt thing and say, write that down, write this down. Floor one's not clear. It didn't start on floor. One. Yeah. Didn't start yeah, on floor two. Yeah. If floor one has smoke on it, then it started, it started down low. So, uh, you, you know, at that point, yeah, you, you do have other problems, but, um, you know, in the situation given it's a floor two fire, it started on floor two, it's on floor two, like, Okay, go get it. It should take you seconds to stretch that line into into the the stairwell. Call for water as soon as that that water hits the tip. Down in you know, send it in the room and it's it's knocked out. I'm not going to mess around with the can, you know, all of that kind of stuff. If if that's my crew and you know we're showing up and I'm riding in the officer seat, I can totally see as your you tell your firefighter to you know grab the line, and start stretching in the stairwell. I can see grabbing a pump can real fast and making a beeline to the stairwell and knocking it while, you know, while you're ahead of them, that's totally fine. But that's like, in addition to, that's not necessarily that I'm not making that my only play call. Right. 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 
So that's, that's in addition to, but the bread and butter of my operation is that firefighter should be able to stretch that line in the stairs. Love it, man. Uh, Manny's got more for you. Would just wetting the floor, and I, you may have to, you may have to clarify on this a little bit, Manny, yeah. but would just wetting the floor eliminate the flashover if access was limited? So I'm not sure if he's at, he said taking an element out of the heat flux equation. So I'm so, not sure if that's enough information to answer the question or not. So, sorry, what, what was the question one more time? Would just wetting the floor eliminate the flashover if access was limited? So I'm not sure if he's asking if you could just hit it hard from the yard on the floor. I, I mean, so I, I think it, at that point, you kind of get into, into the, the what if realm a right. little bit. Sure. You know, if you can wet the, if you can wet the floor. Oh, he said burglar bars, for instance. So he threw that out there. So it was a little sure. bit. Sure. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're still going to want to, you know, rip water, uh, you know, downrange into into the overhead and punch as far down as you can and then wet the floor. Like even in burglar bars, you can still angle your stream around a little bit. You're not just going to have to, you know, have to hit the floor. I mean, it's a it's a holistic approach, but the the water on the floor, uh, water on the floor is a is a big part of that. Um, and, and so, you know, there, you, you kind of gotta, you kind of gotta address it holistically, but. Okay. No, no. I, that's what I wanted. I, I wanted to get the, uh, little yeah. more, uh, context. Yeah. Man, he's still coming at you. Would you want as close to a one-to-one vent profile when making an attack when possible? Meaning, would you want all the windows busted on the intake side or the exhaust side or as equalized as possible? Um, so, you know, as far as like backside ventilation and stuff like that, um, we're saying wind's not a factor. We're just saying straight up intake versus exhaust. mm -hmm. I mean, it basically, as as soon as the attack starts and you're starting to get water, once the attack starts and you're on the attack corridor and you're starting to get water, uh, you know, uh, effective firefighting water downrange, you know, uh, towards the seat, not necessarily on the seat just yet. But once you, once you're, the nozzle's in place, it's making that final, that final push towards the fire room. Um, you know, I'm not going to get like caught up on needing a, a certain ventilation profile to me, just more is better, right? Like I want, I want it all. As soon as the extinguishment starts and I'm confident that I've gained the upper hand with the, with the stream, I want it. I want it all. I want that building opened up as fast as possible, um, you know, and just every, everything as fast as possible, because the, the faster we can get that building aired out, the better it is for the search crews and the victims and all that kind of stuff. So go to so, Dennis Laguerre. As soon as we get water on the fire, make the make the box as porous as possible. Yeah. Yep. Ex- exactly. So, I, you know, focusing on like a one to one vent profile during the push um, you know, getting a little bit into the, into the weeds there because it, I don't, I, I'm not going to ever ask somebody if I'm getting effective water into it, it, you know, and I'm getting effective extinguishment and we're anticipating I'm getting a hold of this thing, unless I have a below grade fire, a wind driven fire, hoarding conditions, something like that, then I, I want to get, you know, really, really greedy with ventilation because I'm, I'm winning. I'm going to win. Now it's just a matter of how, how much better can we make everything in this building really fast 
Um, and part of that is on, on me as a nozzle man or the nozzle crew is to hydraulically vent, you know, like crazy as much as possible. So I want to be able to, you know, vent, 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 vent. And, and that's more than just, you know, a little squirt out the window. That's dude. If you're going to be in the fire room after you get that thing knocked down while, uh, the number two on the line is taking a hot lap, you know, searching the fire area, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the nozzle, whoever's on the nozzle can be sitting there hydraulically ventilating, uh, and you can you can, you cannot vent enough, in my opinion, with that. So um, you're just going to make things you're just going to make things better. <laughs> Love it, Mandy said. I have a man crush on Jay, and I'm not ashamed. Laugh out loud. <laughs> I think it's the glasses, personally. I think it has like at least 20 IQ points. Oh, dude, that no, I I need that. I uh, graduated high school with a 1.6 cumulative. <laughs> I love it. I love I gotta it. I got to wear the glasses to bring it up a little bit. Um, Kyle said, Jay, what are some of the most common mistakes you have seen firefighters make when taking parking lot flow and move tactics into a building fire? Yeah. So uh, I really like that question. I really do because I I think there's huge value in the parking lot. So I don't want to downplay it, but at the same time, what are the, what are the downsides that people can learn from? Go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to walk on you. No, you're, you're good. No, that's, that's kind of, kind of it right. There's, um, uh, so tempo is one where there's a an audible feedback in the parking lot where you're slapping the ground, your stream, basically, like when you're in a parking lot, your stream's shooting up into the air, right? And so you're not getting any audible feedback up top, but you're getting audible feedback every time your stream slaps the ground. And so what you'll see a lot of times when people go inside buildings is like they build this this rhythm that they probably don't even realize that they have where they're just slapping the stream back and forth. Boom, 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 because they spend so much time in parking lots. And um, so then they get inside a inside a building and, you know, buildings have angles, doorways, you know, overheads, all that kind of stuff. And so they, they come away with a poor understanding or they, they establish kind of a poor um, understanding of how to your stream should take the shape of the box you're in, right? So when you're in a hallway, you're boom, 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 and you drop that thing down. You're not just sitting there slapping back and forth in the hallway. If I went into a hallway and I just started slapping the stream back and forth, I'd be basically putting water like 45 degrees left and right on either side of me, and my stream would be reaching about six feet in front of me, right? I'm not, I'm not reaching down the hallway and then into the room that's on fire. Right. I'm just slapping around in the hallway. And so you end up with kind of this like single angle that that people get. They'll get good at like one single angle. Well, like you know, I made the analogy earlier of fighting fire in a hallway is kind of like bowling with the guardrails up. Like they're good bowling with the guardrails up. But then all of a sudden you take the guardrails off and you talk about a living room. Well, that's different shape than a kitchen that's different shape than a hallway that's different shape than a bedroom. And so instead of matching the stream to the space they're in, uh, they just kind of have this bang, 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 right. right. With this emphasis on slapping the ground because they are matching the box when they're in the, when they're in the parking lot, the back pad, whatever they are matching the box, but it's a training scar when there's actually a box. Yeah, and it's it's also different. Like when you're trying to put water through a doorway, right? You're coming up up to a doorway that's like perpendicular to you, and you you don't want to be doing this, right? You want your stream going through that doorway, 
And so you're going to be tracing the inside of that doorway on the, on the way through. You're not like slapping that thing back and forth because if you slap that nozzle back and forth now, what you're doing is you're missing that whole doorway. You're not, and you'll see people do this all the time on like the tick footage. There'll be fire just blowing through the door and they're hitting everywhere but where the fire is coming from. Like, dude, would you put the water through the door? That's where the fire is at, right? Yeah. And it's like, duh, when we're sitting here talking about right. it. Right. No, of course. Yeah. And, and so you end up going in there and, and there's a uh, a big disconnect. So you, you end up with that. You also end up with um, kind of this, I call it like fixed bayonets and charge, like rhythm, where every time they open up, and I've been guilty of this too. Like I'm saying this because these are things that I have learned uh, yeah, you're, you're not throwing stones. You're actually looking in a mirror. Yeah, to- oh, totally. No, these yes. are yes. <laughs> and so where you open the line and you just start moving forward, right? And the best pushes on the fire ground are, in my experience, they're the slowest. They're the ones where the person opens the line, hang out for a second, let the let the you know let the tool do the work, right? Let that nozzle eat for a little bit. Hang out for a second. Make sure that's, you know, take that shape of the box. If it's a big room, I'll kind of trace some Z's, boom, 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 top to bottom, top to bottom at some different angles, come back up. And I'll, I'll bring it up and down, up and down, up and down a few times before I finally, and I'm, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for, is there a glow that's going to come back through a doorway? If you're coming up underneath a fire, like from floor one to floor two, and you're starting your fight in the stairwell, like the worst that fire can do is it can burn to the floor, right? And then that's it it's going to find a way up and out at that point. It's not going to like burn back down the stairwell. And so what, when you're coming up from underneath a fire, what you get is as soon as you start extinguishing that overhead, that common space, you look for where's that glow coming back from. And that's, that's what tells you where the seat is. Right. Same thing when you're, when you're on playing with it, you're in like a living room or kitchen or something like that. And you start to, you know, work that, that room a little bit and you darken it down. And I'm trying to see because that seat flame is going to continue to drive to try to into the room. I'm recognizing that rebound. Yeah. Where's the rebound coming from? And then put my stream kind of in that general direction. Is it going to be exact? No, but as you, you can do once if you're stationary and you get a good good water going down towards where you think that see the fire is, and then you start moving towards it, you're going to be able to hold that stream in that general direction of where the where that that fire is, as opposed to if you just open and start moving. Now you're you're basically at the mercy of your tunnel vision. Your ears aren't working as well. You're focused just on slapping the stream around, and then you get lost really fast. So you stay oriented better, and when you slow down, things just go better in general. I mean, I cannot <laughs> I love, yeah. go slow enough. It's it's more than just slow is smooth. It's just yes, I, it's giving it a chance to actually do what it needs to do, so that you can react to what it's doing. Is yeah, oversimplification. No, I mean that, that's that's it. Uh, slow, it's not just slow is smooth. It's slower is genuinely better when you open up that line and you. The slower you move, the slower you move up on that thing. Obviously, there's such thing as too slow, or you know. But like, sure, sure. You're typically flowing half as much and moving twice as fast as you think you are in a fire, right? Because mm-hmm. you're amped up. And so I, I've had times before on the nozzle where I thought I was flowing forever. And then, you know, afterwards I find out I was, you know, flowing for seven seconds or something, you know, whatever. Please say that one more time because I walked on it and it's a great sound bite. 
So you're, uh, you're flowing half as much and moving twice as fast as you think you are when you're on a fire. So it, it just time sped up and you're amped up and you know, things are, things are rocking and rolling. And so if you can force yourself to slow down and you, if you force yourself to listen, I cannot, I cannot say how important listening is on a fire. You, you, figure out where it's at you can hear it snapping and crackling and popping i mean obviously you know there's a whole like you know locating victims all that kind of stuff but uh just listening to listening how your stream sounds listen to the where the fire is at all of that kind of stuff you gain so much more and you force yourself to slow down when you force yourself to listen when you're amped up it slows you down <laughs> i agree smooth board cartel said there is no need for any more scraps just play this one every week <laughs> I'm not sure how that is for the long-term health of, of what I do, but, yeah, I really do enjoy this. Rob Fisher wants to know, please ask Jay. Rob Fisher, one of my favorite people on this planet, said, please ask Jay what's his greatest challenge he's facing as a firefighter in today's fire service. Ooh. Um, the greatest challenge that I'm facing as a firefighter. Um, shoot, that's a, that's a good question. Um, let's see. I, I would say, I would say the greatest challenge that I, well, I mean, I think the greatest challenge right now, like for me personally is, um, man, I'm trying to Rob's locked him up. We did it. You did it, Rob. I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out a way to articulate this without uh, you know, spilling all my all uh, our department's uh, dirty laundry because I don't want to do that. But like, you, you know, stuff stuff tough right now, right? Sure. And, oh yeah, no, no. I'm not asking for that at all. And I, I No, yeah. No, I I know. I I um I'm trying to articulate the, I I work trying for, to answer the question without getting in the weeds. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I work for a great department, love where I work, wouldn't change it for the world or anything like that. And, uh, you know, we're just, we, I mean, our, our call volume has always been high and our call volume went up like 20% this, this last year. And our, our, like our people are just getting ground to a pulp. Right. And so we are, um, it's, it's hurting. Right. And every, and we're getting a lot of like mandatories. And so like, you know, essentially what I'm getting at is, um, staying in, staying in the game and staying on the, uh, for my, for myself on the path towards, you know, trying to maintain excellence and pursuing, uh, excellence and growth and all of that kind of stuff, uh, in an environment that is, it's just, you know, it's, uh, it's been unrelenting. And I think, you know, all the, the folks at work would probably say the, say the same thing. I mean, you're right. It's nobody's fault in particular. There's a lot of departments that are in the same boat. I know I'm, I'm you know, we're not the only ones, but, uh, you know, it's, it's tough when you, um, you, you know, you just feel that, that pace and that tempo, uh, just really grinding you down. And, and I think it's a, it's a challenge that I, I wanted, like one of the re- one of the things that drew me to my department was that it's busy. And I, I love that, but then there's like, there's busy and then there's like soul crushing busy. Right. Yeah. And yes. you end up kind of on that end of the spectrum where, um, you know, at that point it's really hard to, it's hard to get your, get your, tra- you got to get really creative with how you get your training done. You have to be 
really good at targeting specific, like isolating specific things, getting stuff done fast without pulling a bunch of stuff out of service and putting <clears throat> on another company that's now got to soak up your runs while you're, you know, while you're out, out doing stuff. And like our, you know, our folks are really good about it, but it, you know, it can only go, it can only go so far and you've got to get really good at targeting and, and being very disciplined about like, we're going to drill this today. We're going to spend this much time doing it. Uh, I'm going to, you know, work out at this time. Um, you know, all of that kind of stuff, you've got to be very, very, very disciplined with it. And, you know, one of the things for me that I like, one of the things I had to do over this last year, um, was I about, oh, six, seven months ago, um, I kind of had to just cut out alcohol like that, that just became something. And it wasn't that I, you know, had a, had a drinking problem or anything like that. It was something that I just started to look at the, the way it affects my sleep, the way it affects my recovery, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, I wasn't like drinking a bunch off duty or anything like that. It was just something that I, I kind of had this point of, I need to start looking at effective ways that I can maintain uh, excellent, as much recovery as possible. And, you know, I, I started noticing like, Hey, if I have a beer with dinner, it affects my sleep at night. And so I have to be really stingy with my sleep and say that like, that's my time and anything that's going to affect it. Like I can't control, obviously we got, you know, four kids and our youngest is eight months old, right? That's an effect on my sleep, but that's one that I'm totally, Hey, that that's fine. That's life. Um, but alcohol is something that's a choice. And so you know what, if I got to <laughs> I got to kind of give that up so that I can, because really the way that I look at it is, um, my wife is an incredibly hard worker and she's made a lot of sacrifices and, you know, I, I love her to death and she, um, she works very hard in the home and, uh, taking care of the kids. And so, you know, my job is what, what provides for our family. And really the, the only way I'm going to get through this pace is if I, it is really by keeping my body intact. And so I have to be very, very smart. I have to be very intentional. Um, you know, I, we invested in, you know, making sure that I've got uh, a good gym here at the house. So there's no excuses. It's staring me in the face every day. There's no excuses not to work out. Um, you know, work out around the kids. Sometimes I'm not working out till 10 o'clock at night. Well, tough. That's what you got to do. Um, and then cutting out things like, you know, alcohol or whatever I've got to do in order to make sure that when I show up to work, um, you know, my body's going to last until I can re until retirement so that my family can be provided for. And so that, uh, you know, when I'm there at work, I I'm actually able to keep up with that pace because yes. right now in my, in my thirties, it's going to be different when I'm in my forties and my fifties. So that's, that's and, my biggest challenge personally right now. And so you can enjoy them, once, like you said, once you retire, 100%. Now, yeah. uh, now, out of my own personal curiosity, because just recently I quit drinking for a month and four days, and I, I can yeah. actually count a month and four days. That's how important it was to me. But uh, I told myself, as long as I can do that, then I really don't have a problem. Um, in spite of my excuses and justifications, uh, how is it going for you and where are you at on it? Is, is there anything that's working for you, or have you, have you worked it down to a system, or... Or, or tell me where you're at, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, no, no problem. So um, I I will – basically where I've reserved, like, alcohol to is if I – alcohol for me is something I do – I I don't carry it at the house. Um, so I, I don't have any at the, at the house. I don't, you know – I, I will drink, like, if I go to um, – 
you know, like we were in Mile High Conference uh, like a couple weeks ago, right? And that was the first time I've had anything to drink uh, in a long time. And I, I'll have one, maybe two, and then that's that's it for me. Um, and so I, I just save it for special occasions, you know? Mm-hmm. So we had four of us from our department at, at Mile High, and, and uh, you know, we were, we were down there hanging out. And, uh, it was, it was something that was a special occasion. And so have, a, you know, have my two beers and then that's, that's kind of it for me. Um, you know, and so I, I think more just being disciplined and relegating it to being something, treating it like a dessert or something like right. that. I'm going to have a dessert every night. Right. And I'm not going to keep like cake in my fridge or anything like that. But, you know, if I'm sure. out to dinner with the wife or something like that on the, rare occasion we get to go on a on a date night and somebody wants to take all four of the the kids uh you know then okay i might have a piece of cake but uh you know i'm not it's not a regular staple of of what i consume so no absolutely no no and i'm not trying to to turn it into uh anything beyond tactics and things like that but it does it does massively infatuate me and i have a high curiosity factor when it comes to that uh Taylor Turner, I like this question. I want to throw it at you. Taylor Turner says, people often tell me learning Sony nozzle tactics can overcomplicate the job. They tell me, just put the wet stuff on the red stuff. Is there a balance between learning tactics and keeping it simple? I'm prone to overthinking, but want to be the best I can. So I love that question. I mean, where do you land on that? So, uh, no, I think think he's exactly right. Where, uh, here's the deal. We... Um, there was a, I forget who the quote was from. Um, but the quote said, uh, it, it was talking about making decisions in you know, high, high stress and dynamic environments and said that your you know, basically your solutions need to be as simple as they can be, but not simpler. Right. And so put the wet stuff on the red stuff. That's, that's too simple, but it shouldn't be much more difficult than that. Okay. No, no, I love that. I love that. So, like, when you start getting into the 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 weeds, you're going to have, you know, and everybody likes to throw that, like, 80% of your people, I forget what the old, uh, it was like, Heraclides quote or whatever, the, the, the quote about 80, you know, 80% of the folks are good fighters, you know, 10% are... You know, and then there's the one, right? Like, I mean, it's it's a cheesy quote, right? It gets over you overdone a lot, but um, the way that I kind of look at, at a, a, a well-run, well-functioning fire department is you have people who are like kind of they're they're that one percent. You should you want people that are like that one percent in certain specific domains, right? Like, if my thing is hose nozzle fire attack stuff. Um, I don't want to be the guy that's like chiming in on how the ladder should be spec'd out and all of the search stuff and the forcible entry stuff and the, you know, EMS this. And I, I don't, I, I, cause really you can, you can't be great at that many things. Like you can be really, really great at, at, at something, uh, and, and really contribute in that area, but to, you know, you want to pursue that doesn't mean you don't pursue greatness in those other areas, but that means your department should be having people who are like really passionate about these certain things. And then they're feeding back into the rest of the folks, the rest of the 80%. Right. And so when it comes to like, to something like this, part of the job of that I view somebody who, if you are, you know, your department's whatever subject matter expert on hose, nozzle, fire attack stuff, then part of your job is to distill that information distill the complicated down 
to usable read and react decision-making points for the rest of the troops, right? And then I want, because I don't care about like the going out and doing a bunch of research into EMS stuff, but I do want somebody who is super passionate about that to go and learn the nuts and the bolts and all the, you know, here's where the wires are crossed and the anatomy and physiology stuff. Like, I don't care about that stuff, but I want you to go and learn it, distill it down, and then tell me the distilled down, like, here's the, 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 the nuts and bolts of what to do on a scene, right? That makes us better. I want to know it. I just don't have the bandwidth to be able to go and learn all of those ins and outs on all these different disciplines. It's too much. So, um, yeah, I think, I think there is the, the putting the wet stuff on the red stuff with fire attack specifically is too simple, but there is, uh, you know, too complicated. So if you're, if you're plugging somebody with too many choices to make on a fire ground, really any more than three, three is kind of the, the magic, the magic number. That's, that's about when we reach our capacity. Uh, if you have any more than, than three decisions to make, then, uh, your ability to process more variables in that is, I mean, it's a crapshoot at that point. Uh, and so you want to be able to like, like at a, uh, you know, we're going to talk about like door reads and stuff like that, right? Is it on my level below me or above me? There's my, there's my three reads right there. Could I get more in the weeds with that? Yeah, I could. Like the first door read that I was taught, that I was taught about, you know, watching the neutral plane, where the neutral plane is coming down and all this and that and the other stuff, um, you know, and, and ventilation ratios and all, like, it was way too much for a fire that at the end of the day, it's on plane and I'm going to go crush this thing. So why do I need to know about all of these different, you know, vent ratios and all of this kind of stuff? Because I don't, one, I can't control it that well. Two, it's slow, too much information slows me down. And three, uh, also too much information can, can actually lead me astray. And there's this thing called the Pareto's principle. And it's that 20% of the information yields 80% of the outcome. And so, uh, essentially what it means is you need a lot less information to make a decision than you think you do. And there's a, it, there's a curve, uh, that when you go down the backside of the curve, once you get beyond about 20% of information, it's diminishing returns down the backside of the curve. And it actually makes your decision-making ability reduces the more information you get. So. Dude, I love it, man. You starting getting a Pareto and, and, uh, and the lo- thing I love about, and, and, God bless. Uh, the thing I love about Pareto, you can actually dig into the 20%. 20% of that 20% actually is like the 80% of the initial decision, you know, and so yeah. it actually gets, it actually starts compounding on itself and it's so beautiful. Uh, yeah. 100%. There's so much coming at you. Uh, Taylor, yeah, I love that. Uh, and then Ramaga said it was an Einstein quote about simple. But not simpler. So he, is that that's, Einstein? That's what I, I can't verify, but Romagus did. So we'll Sounds go right. with it. I trust him. Yeah, I do too. Jay, this comes from Kyle. Since we're talking about, it. what are some of your takeaways for the engine company from the latest UL search study? Mm. Um. So I'm still, you know, I'm still kind of really trying to dive through it and process it and stuff like that. Um, I think. So, like one of one of the big takeaways is, um, you know, we t- we talked about a little a little bit earlier with um, 
like sequential ventilation and post knockdown ventilation, all that kind of stuff. And just like, just how important that is. Right. That's definitely something I think that was, um, that I noticed was, was really, uh, brought to, you know, brought to light reemphasized and, and kind of proven again with, with this study. And, it, and maybe it was something that there was less emphasis on it prior. Um, but look at it through, you know, through the search lens and, and through, uh, you know, functionality for the victims and stuff like that, just how important, um, we call it coordinated ventilation, but I, I'm just going to like on a, on a residential fire where you're talking about, you know, fire being, you, I've got a, a charge flowing inch and three quarter line that I have the ability to flow and move on uh, a fire that's on my plane. I'm not dealing with a below grade fire, wind driven or hoarding conditions, um, really at that point, I'm going to crush this thing. I'm dealing with a, a room, a couple rooms of fire. Um, you know, I'm going to crush this thing. And so I really want, wh- when I'm talking about like coordinated ventilation, I'm not talking about one window being opened on the backside. I like, I want it all right. I want you just, when I start getting water on the fire, let's blow this thing open and, and uh, let's go. Right. You use the word porous. I think that's a great word to use for it. Um, and then the, the hydraulic ventilation. So that that's one thing, something that I'm trying and I, I would love to talk to. And I've been meaning to reach out to like Ladine and some of these guys because I, I want to start. Um, I want to start dialing in a little bit of just my personal threshold for, hey, when at what point is it better to, you know, drag a victim out the way you came? And at what point is it better to, uh, you know, isolate them in a room and then go out a, out a different path? Right. Because there's the the um, taking them into a room and then dealing with, you know, either a window cut down or over a sill or something like that. It's not always, uh, you know, it's not always a super quick way. Um, but also, you know, taking them out a, the, the way that you came and, you know, the, the distance and the exposure that they're going to maintain along that route. I just want to, for me personally, start diving into a little bit more of like being able to, I, I don't need an exact, here's the, you know, 10 foot mark or whatever, but just a little bit more so I can make a good decision when that time comes of, you know, taking them in a room and sheltering versus taking them out the way I came. Um, obviously if the way I came was on fire, that's probably going to be, you know, right. out. but, um, you know, there's a lot of those, Hey, I was, I was moving along through the smoke and bumped into a victim and Hey, they're, they're close to a door. So I could take them in there, shut it and then take them out a window. Uh, one of the things that we have emphasized a lot in our department is window cut downs. Uh, we've, it's been something that's always been a part of the playbook, but it's been something that we've really tried to emphasize with a lot of our engine company training, um, so our area has, we've been doing some, you know, blue card stuff for a, a long time and, you know, I won't get into the, the blue card, um, <laughs> not going to get go down that rabbit hole. But one of the things with blue card that they have is they establish a on deck crew. And so, um, that's been something that we've been trying <clears throat> a common practice for our on deck crews is they always come forward with a chainsaw and they anticipate if a victim gets located, First thing they're going to do is anticipate the win- the nearest window to them and just turn it into a door. Turn it into a door? No, no, that's phenomenal. Yeah, and I think I mean that that helps because if you can get them in that room and you shut that door and you isolate and then you you have a door to go out and just flop them out of the building that way, flop them onto a ladder that way or something, then you know that really helps tilt the tilt the scales into a little bit more favoring isolation. 
uh, as opposed to dragging them down that that uh, that smoky hallway. So I want to make that route as accommodating as possible because I, I think it there is a lot of benefit to be gained there. You just have to make sure you don't end up getting you know hung up at the sill forever. Right. And see, in my jurisdiction, we have I live in the uh, the clay bottom Oklahoma river bottom, and we have Acme brick and. Every house, even the cheapest house, has a brick facade, and so right. turning windows into doors is not as as great an option when you have that brick facade out front. Yeah, so you have to know your jurisdiction absolutely. Um, Jay, this comes from John M. Sullivan. It's a different kind of question. How important do you feel training for roadway incident responses is, as in responder safety while working in, on, or near roadways or traffic? So, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we, we have a lot of freeways, right. And, um, so for us, it's very, very, very common. And this is, this is something culturally because of the the busyness and the pace of all the rigs. I mean, you know, there's, there's nowhere to hide in our department. There's not like a slow station you can go to. And so, um, this policy was not like super popular right out of the gate, but it's become something that everybody's kind of realizes is just, it's important and we're just going to suck it up and, and take care of each other. Um, so any, any road where we're 50 miles an hour over, uh, we on a typically like a standard car wreck is, is a single company response to start out. Right. And, uh, so if it's a 50 mile an hour road or greater then we're going to send two companies and one's just a dedicated. Nice. So, um, you know, and there was a lot of complaining when, when it started out and stuff like that. I mean, you know, for good reason, right? Like you're, you end up with, it's not like we're resource heavy. So when you have two companies tied up on, uh, on a car wreck, you don't even know if there's injuries or not. I mean, that's, that's not nothing. Now we're, we're definitely vulnerable for, you know, other high acuity calls and stuff like that. So it's not without, you know, without downside, but I think everybody's recognized, um, you know, the, the likelihood it, I've always said, if I bite it on the job, it's probably not going to be on a fire. It's probably going to be on the, on the freeway. So right, right. That, that's something that makes me very nervous. And, uh, it's something that I don't, I don't take lightly and, and none of, none of our guys do. It's, it's, uh, most of our close calls come out on stuff like that. So, and, and I want to say, I want to add it cause I, I kind of try to articulate this in the proper way. But what I'm saying is, is like on, on, on the fires, on the decision-making and things like that, there are basics you can, you can drill down into and take off the table and make yourself, you know, into that special forces thing where it's all about taking the basics off the table. You know what I'm saying? And that's the separation factor with the highway. I, I don't know if there's a lot of basics you can, you can drill down into and take off the table beyond shutting down and making it safer. Does that, does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah, no, and I, no, I agree, and I, I would add to that, like, on the down fact- to the individual tactics. You know, the individual competence really doesn't affect if if an inattentive driver is going to decide to plow into your scene. Yeah, and that's really what it comes down to for, for me is on, on the fire ground. You know, you're dealing with a a fire that is governed by you know the laws of thermodynamics and and you know nature, and on the freeway you're dealing with people. You know, people are driving very people high. Driving speed. like this. Oh my gosh, we were on a wreck a, a couple months ago. That was uh, we were out there for a, for a long time, and, and it was just blowing my mind. We had the freeway shut down to one lane, and people were driving by with their phones streaming the whole thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's what are you doing? So, 
um yeah you know yeah freeways are freeways are are no joke and and you know i i definitely say hey blocking rigs are um yeah systemically we can make it better in our response i'm not sure that on the task level we can really improve the safety i i haven't given i haven't given that a lot of thought but that's kind of my my little brainstorm in in this talk jay makes me feel smart so i tried to throw it out there all right uh all right, we're actually going to get – I'm going to ask you some questions that I actually – because everything so far has been none of the questions we had planned. Uh, something we both love, uh, Mission Critical Teams Institute, MCTI, man, uh, 100%. Decision-making under stress. How do we develop expertise? How do we maintain expertise? How do we construct and maintain high-performance teams? I just want to hear your thoughts on it because I know me and you both love MCTI and both listen to it uh, a lot. But But go ahead and give me your overview as I try to segue to that as smoothly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, de- developing, uh, developing expertise, maintaining expertise, all that kind of stuff. Um, so obviously there's a, a lot of different layers to that, but I, I think one of, one of the initial is, um, you know how how you're training people is is very 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 important and you have to become a um our tendency i think in the fire service is to go checklist driven you know mm-hmm. and um there's you know task sheets or checklist or whatever and so we kind of do the the cookie cutter and we got to be careful um especially in like new hire training and whatnot are we are our new hires training in a way where they're trying not to where they're just trying not to fail right right and so i think that's really important when you're when you're training new people because you know a lot of new folks like they they're on probation they understand that because of our like hierarchy and our structure and stuff they're um in a position where their tendency is to try to they try to get good enough so that they don't get on somebody's radar for a skill (laughs) and um that doesn't mean that you understand it and that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to actually pull it off in the field right and so are we are we training people um for actual um performance in the field or are we just training people so that they can can check a box mask their deficiencies Yeah, yeah yeah and so you end up with uh, you, you end up with that, which is, you know, very superficial understanding of a subject and all that, because really what you want, you know, like MCTI talks about, uh, Coleman Ruiz talks about when you're training somebody, you, you do it and it, it's kind of the crawl, walk, run thing, but it's a little bit better description. I like, he says, uh, first you do it slow, then you do it at speed at game speed. Then you do it at game speed while you're fatigued. And then you do it at game speed while you're fatigued and under pressure. And once you've gone through that progression with a skill, um, at that point, you now have that skill where you're in what's what's called the uh, the, the more autonomous phase. And that's what you want to. That's your goal when you're teaching somebody a skill is to get to that autonomous phase. And the autonomous phase means that the person is self-correcting on the fly, right? And so where you're doing something and you can feel like that's just a little bit off, I'm going to correct instead of I'm going to be doing something. And like, you know, if I'm teaching a a hose handling technique and the nozzle just like sliding back through, I want somebody to get to the point where they feel that initial start to slide and they know how to correct it, but they don't have to devote a bunch of energy to correct. Right, right, right. And so because that's a a fire ground reality, like if you, um, 
you know, one of the things I, I think everybody should read would be the uh, uh, Marine Corps Doctrinal Paper One, Warfighting, right? And it talks about friction, right? And friction is the, its description of friction on on uh, you know on the the uh, in the battle space is really important. I think it's super applicable in the in the fire service, which is you know friction is the the source that makes the seemingly easy difficult, right? And so when you're training people. You're anticipating sources of friction. Fatigue is a source of friction. Uh, grip strength is a source of friction. Uh, audio exclusion because you're amped up is a source of friction. Uh, there are self-imposed sources of friction, like um, are we communicating too much? Are we expecting too many decision-making points from this person? Are we loading them with too many options, right? Like nice. all things add to friction, and sort the more friction there is on the fire ground, the more clunky and cumbersome, the less they're the less they're going to be able to perform. And so, I I think it's really important to constantly be evaluating sources of friction, both like self, crew, and department wide sources of friction that that we have. Source of friction can be, um, you know, if you're if you're a company officer or something like that, and your firefighter is um you know nervous or in their head or they're they're self-conscious or something like that because of how they think you view them right like that can be a source of friction right now now i have my firefighter thinking about what i think of them instead of instead of a uh i want them in a in a flow state not thinking about like these external factors i want them kind of like single mission focused and, and feeling like they're kind of in the zone, single mission focused on this task in front of them. I want them, I don't want them thinking about what I think of them. And so there's all of these different things. If we're constantly on the lookout for weeding out sources of friction, we're going to see, it's going to open your eyes a lot more to things that, you know, for me personally, this is what happened. It's opened my eyes to a lot of things of like, Oh man, I didn't even realize that was friction, but that, that is causing right. that awareness, that awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, radio traffic, right? Like how much radio traffic do you, do you, this is more of like a department thing, right? But, um, when we went to, to blue card, it was told that, you know, we would end up with less radio traffic. We have never had more radio traffic ever, ever. I mean, it, it was unreal. The amount of radio traffic that we had to the point where like, I, I remember one fire vividly right after we adopted it, where I was on the nozzle, I had, you know, two windows, uh, a fire and a, and a door that was just blowing like a blowtorch. And I'm sitting there trying to call for water and I can't even, I'm getting bonked over the radio as a first in nozzle and I can't even get over, like charged the line. <laughs> There's so much radio traffic going on. Right. Right. That's yeah, I love it. All right. I'm switching. I'm switching. Quick gears, downshift and switch. I want decision-making at the door because it's one of my favorite topics you talk about, man. And I want to get it into this episode so that people that listen and make it this far will get this tidbit of knowledge. But go ahead. Yeah, so um, I, I kind of you know alluded to it a little bit earlier, but the you know three levels, right? I want to know, do I have fire below me, on my level, or above me, right? And what do those fires look like? What do they sound like? What do they feel like? Uh, because I, I got to have more than more than just a, a visual. And then the other thing is, um, you know, that that size up. I want it to be like a complimentary size up where I've got my um, my officer. So when the officer goes and does a three hundred and sixty, they have a certain vantage point, right? Sure. That 
vantage point is the the exterior of the building on the way around. They're doing their walk around, you know, shouting at the building or doing whatever they do. And I'm stretching the line so that the firefighters stretch the line to the front door, typically, right, or the main ingress egress door. And so there's there's a couple of different vantage points, and you know, you like you'll hear what what size up, size up gets thrown around, like oh, you got to size up the fire. And then there's all of these different like acronyms and all that kind of stuff that get used, um, you know. And size up becomes this thing as if all size up is is collecting like random information about the fire, right? So for me. What size up is to me, and I use this whether I'm in the officer seat or the firefighter, riding backwards, whatever. Um, for me, size up is it's got to be this. It's got to be quick. It's got to be systematic. And each piece of information I gain has to result in some sort of action. Right. And so I'm not just gaining information just to gain information because back to Pareto's principle, too much information, it's going to cloud my judgment. And so for a size up uh, on a on a building – I'm looking for, is it below me on my level or is it above me? And I'm using the officer's 360 of the outside of the building coupled with the firefighter's first look at the interior of the building and marrying those two up together. They're complementary size-ups from each other. The driver also has their own, like they're detached, right? Mentally, they're a little bit more detached. And so they're not looking at it from a perspective of, I'm about ready to crawl into this thing. They're kind of detached, so they're going to notice things that the firefighter and the officer are less likely to. So if everybody knows that their job is to size up and relay only pertinent information that's going to result in action, then uh, as a company, we're going to function better. We're going to actually key in on stuff that that is more um, more valuable. So for the firefighter stretching that line out front door, I'm just looking at is there – um, and this is something like Scott Corgan really helped me dial this in um, with uh, especially the, the on plane. And he had it simplified better than anybody I'd, I'd heard before. And so if you have an intake and an exhaust, then the fire is on your level. Okay, If air is pulling across the floor, the fire is on your level. If you have all exhaust you don't have any air pulling in the in the building the fire is below you if you have all intake the fire is above you okay and so it, now there's a you know a couple little caveats now what does that do for me what does that information do for me okay if the fire is below me if i don't have any air if i open up a door and i do not have any air pulling in the building the fire is either below me or it's wind driven would kind of be the other caveat if it's wind driven you know like yeah you should yeah, hopefully be aware. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't really like hit on that. I say it as a, a caveat, but it's it, it's really very apparent when it's wind driven. Um, and so if it's below me and the firefighter notices, I don't have any air pulling in the in the doorway right here. I have no intake, right? And I'm not even going to go into where the intake is at. Just there's no air pulling inside the building. Throw the deadbolt, you know, look for life, all that kind of stuff. Shut the shut the doorway, uh, the door back down on the deadbolt so it doesn't lock on itself. And then when that officer comes back around, I'm going to relay to them, you know, hey, Cap, it looks like this fire is below us. What are you seeing? Right. And maybe they didn't catch it on their way around that it is in the basement or it is below us. But either way, it's kind of that check and balance system that we have where I'm I'm getting a vantage point that they don't have. I get eyes on the inside first. They, they get eyes on the outside walking around, and now mm-hmm. we up real quick. And if nothing else, it causes a pause for a second. Like, mm, you know what? Let me double check that. 
it may change our game plan where we're going to try to get on plane, you know, get, get a line to a exterior door somewhere, uh, you know, on plane with the basement, if it's available, something like that, or it may result in still going forward through the front door. Right. And there's, I'm not going to get into all the details with that, but if nothing else, it causes us to pause for a second and, and check, are we crawling over a basement fire? Right. Right. The awareness, I mean, the awareness, it's really all about the awareness. Right. And yes. so if I show up like, you know, Manny's picture he um, he had about the, the window showing fire on floor two, right? I'm anticipating from the outside that when I open up that front door, it's going to be clear on floor one. It should be crystal clear. If it's not, then that tells me everything that I need to know right there, right? right. You're starting to ping, yeah. And there's, it's not, it, it is not, it may be up there right now, but it started low. And so I need to search for it low, right? And so that's how that size up uh, process for me, that door read, that simple on below me, on my level or above me, if I can just get that, um, then, you know, that's going to result in where I'm going with my nozzle a lot, a lot more than, you know, just randomly noting information about like exposures and power drops and all of that kind of stuff. Right. So it's important, right. but it doesn't change much. No, no. I love, I, in fact, I had to, I've marked a few sound bites that might be the sound bite for the thing, but uh, that that one minute twenty three one hour twenty three minute mark when you talked about yes, it actually impacts the decision making. Um, I love to ask about books, books or books that you think firefighters. We have you, and this is the deal. I need to have you back on, and we're just going to tell you no no audience questions because we literally got to like two two planned topics, and that's not my point because this has been an invaluable scrap, man. I mean that a hundred percent, but. Uh, we didn't even get to our nerdy stuff that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but I want to talk about books. Book or books that you think firefighters should be reading. I always love to ask it. I am 69 books behind, not behind, planned to read in my own reading schedule. So please add to it. <laughs> oh, man, dude. I brought, uh, I knew this question was coming. And so I, I brought my Kindle out so that I could. Uh, love it. I love it. I could, I could scroll through. Um, dude, it's, it's tough. I have at any given time, I'm reading like three or four books. And so it's, uh, it's rough for me because I'm a victim of like recency bias with this. Okay. So first off, uh, cannot recommend this book enough, but life as sport by Dr. Jonathan Fader, I think, uh, must read for anybody in the fire service, man. That is, uh, absolutely absolutely up there one of my favorite books i've ever read um another one so yeah well i won't (laughs) i like Uh, to see the brain working (laughs) well there's another book that i've been reading lately that i've been really liking uh it's called the coddling of the american mind but that's kind of a yeah it's a that's a different uh you know it's it's really good i think there's a lot to benefit from it but uh so especially training new people like one, one of the things it talks about when with training new people uh well it talks about like raising it's talking a lot about raising kids and stuff but um they talk a lot about risk and they talk a lot about um how well-intentioned risk aversion creates um you know creates timid and creates uh dependent decision makers going forward and to be honest, like I do think that that is a uh, kind of an epidemic in the fire service where um, 
good things that are well-intentioned. Almost like helicopter parenting spin out. Is that what we're talking yes. about? Okay. Yes. Okay. So you, you end up with uh, helicopter parenting and, and I've been like thinking a lot about this. I'm just going to, you know, I'll, I'll give you where I'm at mentally right now. Sure. Right. But where I'm at right now is I, I think, um, you know, there's kind of this diametric opposition where you've got, uh, you know, the line staff, the, the, the boots on the ground, the line, um, they're like the dog pulling on the end of the leash. That's how you want them, right? You want the dog pulling on the end of the leash, like that bias for action. You want them to feel like they can get in there. You want them feeling like in, you know, invincible and fearless and all that kind of stuff. Like we can conquer any mountain. Like that's how you, that's how you want them operating. Um, and then you've got the, the person holding the leash whose job it is to kind of like pull back. And I think they kind of need each other a little bit because when, if you let that dog off the leash, um, and that dog is just left to its own devices. It's going to go run and chew holes through the neighbor's fence and become, a, you know, a menace to society. Right, right. Just, just oh, too, uncontrolled you know, freelancing. Yeah, totally. Right. So you do need some pullback on the leash, but the problem is when that dog is like, uh, you know, maybe maybe dog's not the best analogy. Maybe kids a little bit better. Where like it, my kids are like free range chickens. They're just out in the woods and doing their thing and climbing trees and all that kind of stuff. Which there's a certain amount of risk that that is associated with that. I mean, they freaking fall out of trees all the time. They get hurt. They do you know. And I don't want my kids to get hurt. But at the end of the day, like I want them to I want them to take some risks and I want them to figure some stuff out because it's going to make them less. It's going to make them more safe ultimately in the long run. If I helicopter parent them, though, uh, I make them less safe, right? And so it, it's it, even though it's well intentioned, I make them less safe by pulling back on that leash too hard. And when I'm constantly telling somebody about all the dangers there are, like I show up and I start with a firefighter, and I have them come in, and they think like I'm going to be, you know, some ass kicking, like you know, just I'm, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to make a difference for humanity, and then all of a sudden I turn around, and I tell them like read all these line of duty death reports and I want you to watch all these, you know, videos of what could go wrong and watch this trust video, this trust failing, this trust is going to fall on you. If the trust doesn't fall on you, the basement fire is going to swallow you up. If the basement fire doesn't swallow you up, the gas line is going to explode. Like I just equipped them with all of the terrible boogeymen that could jump out and kill them without also ba- without balancing it with like, Hey, here's all the things there are to save and all the things there are to gain. Right. If I don't like balance that well, what I do is I paint this like this uh, implicit picture of all there is is risk. Right. A bias, a bias towards risk aversion almost. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And so I end up like well intentioned trying to protect them, but I coddle them to the point where they become uh, they, they become um, timid and afraid to take risks. And then I wonder like, what is going on with my fire department? Why don't I have, you know, folks who are out there performing well? It's because they're just playing prevent defense on every fire. Right on, dude. Okay, so next scrap with Jay Bonifield is going to be how to raise your kids and how to raise your rookies. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one, and I mean that. I, I, It's funny, but I think it's needed massively. Okay, coddling of the American mind. Yeah. Uh, Very. I, that, I'm going to bump that up on my freaking list. You should read it. Uh, the end of trauma is another one. I think. Um, I think everybody should read that. Uh, it's by um, uh, George Bonanno. So he's a uh, doc that studied. Um, you said the end of trauma. The end of trauma. Okay. Yeah. Um. 
been very eye-opening to me uh and it's it's a a little bit of a different take than some of the um I want to tread lightly here because I'm not an expert on PTSD, but I found this book incredible for myself uh, in that like his argument in, in a lot of cases is that, um, P, you know, PTSD is, is um, overdiagnosed in, in a lot of cases. And he has, you know, a lot, he's got one of the biggest studies on PTSD uh, to date um, in, you know, in history. And he studied, you know, active duty combat vets that were deployed like 750,000 of them. And, um, you know, he, he, a a lot of his case from the psychological perspective is like, he's building a case for, you know, Hey, are we missing, um, by overdiagnosing PTSD, are we missing, um, some value in being able to equip people with tools to like be, be proactive and to be able to, uh, you know, manage residue and to be able to, you know, uh, essentially process stuff effectively with the tools, with some tools that we can equip them with and be proactive instead of reactive, like this sponge that's just going to absorb trauma. Are we providing them with excuses or uh, excuses ain't the right word. I know. No, I know uh, what you're getting at, though. Right? right? It's, a, it's, we, a hard, we, it's a really touchy subject. Sure. No. Yeah. Are we providing them with a a crutch that keeps them from healing? Yeah. No. No. Yeah, it's a are great. Are we helping or are we hurting? I haven't read the book, obviously, but I know that's fascinating already. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You no, you're, going. no, you're you're good. You're exactly <laughs> on the right track. And it's I don't think there's any like perfect word without. It's a really touchy subject, and it's not something that I want to like say hey, no it's it's you know right or, you know whatever like it's a very the reason why i wanted to read the book is because i want to get you know some different different perspectives on this and, and i've really gained I, I cannot recommend that book enough especially with how like you know prevalent that subject is in the park right now um because it, it kind of made me look at it a little bit differently about like hey man I'm, I'm not just this sponge sitting here like absorbing this stuff like you know i i i can I can process, I can process stuff and I can work through this. And, you know, there, there are points in which people, certain people and, you know, whatever can reach where they, you know, they do enter that zone where they do need that special help, but like, you know, starting out with some of these tools and being able to be proactive and, and look at it from a perspective like, Hey, I, I got this right. Um, I, I think is, has been really valuable for me. So yeah, those kind of my those are kind of my three. Okay, okay, love it, dude. And again, I think life as sport. You suggested that one last time. I think it's sitting around number thirty on my current list, but I could be wrong on that. Dude, you gotta you gotta read it. It's moved up like thirty spots, so I got a lot of books to read. Yeah, uh, (laughs) that's that's it, man. Uh, Gates, and if you're looking for something like, you know. I guess it's nonfiction, but Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. Yes, yes. Dude, I, dude, I love Pressfield. Pressfield is uh, oh, absolutely man. one of my favorite authors. Mine too, man. I'll read my it. next book is a complete ripoff of just Pressfield stuff. So, Is it? 100%. I'll tell you. You got to dive meeting. into that stuff, man. It keeps you reading. 100%. Okay. We have the five questions for firefighters. You've been through them before because you were here back in the 80s. When I say 80s, I mean episode, not the actual decade, which I'm not sure you were alive for. But... Not my point. My point is we now have the next five questions for firefighters. So my question for you now, Jay Bonifield, is are you ready for the next five questions for firefighters? Let's do it. Here we go. Number one, 
By the way, the answers are completely uh, your opinion. There is no right or wrong, and the points are arbitrary. They're assigned by me with the help of the audience if they so choose to participate. Number one, what single characteristic makes the difference between a run-of-the-mill firefighter and the top-tier go-to badass firefighter? Uh, Bias for action. Yeah, uh, so... You know, talking about the the analogy of the uh, the dog pulling on the end of the leash, um, man. I can if I have somebody who has a a bias for action, um, that that is somebody who you know it's kind of like Jocko would call it the was a default aggressive or yeah right. Um, if I have somebody who's in in that frame of mind. Uh, that bias for action that comes in everywhere from like how you act around the station, how you manage personal conflict with people, um, how you, how you uh, look at your fitness. Um, like how, like that, that's been, that's been one thing. Um, so fitness has been something, you know, for, for a while, like I'll just go on a, a little rabbit trail with this one as if we use the word fitness as if like there's this magical point in which you become like you're fit now and you're good you're fit like dude fitness it's uh i hate using that word even it's work capacity right like that is you should be chasing as high of a level of work uh, uh, as high of a level of work capacity as you can possibly main as you can possibly have right you should be stronger you should be faster you should be more explosive you should be continuing to like gain in those areas and you know what i work with some dudes who are uh you know about to retire or retiring and they did it i've watched them do it they were animals all all the way until the very end and then some right they just made lifestyles of trying to get better and you know are they as strong at you know 57 as they were at you know 30 Maybe not necessarily, but they're definitely still really strong people, right? They didn't slack off and just go like, oh, I'm going to hit the elliptical because I just want to maintain like core strength and, and flexibility. Like, no, 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 dude. Core strength for them was they were still picking heavy weights up off the ground and moving weight. And like that's core strength is, you know, bracing against uh, against picking heavy stuff up, right? And like they were continually picking stuff up that was heavy and continually pushing their bodies and continually like, yeah, flexibility is part of it, but like strength and end range of motion, all of that kind of stuff. So anyways, uh, a bias for action when it comes to your fitness means you're not, you're not content with I'm fit, right? Like, no, I've still got work to do and I'm going to continue to push it. Uh, and same thing on the fire ground, right? A bias for action is I don't need to be, you know, to wait, to be told what to do. Um, I don't need to sit here and, and think about, am I making the right decision? Like I want somebody who uh, is going to violently execute a good plan now, instead of waiting for uh, the best plan 10 minutes from now, like Patton talks about, right. We're, we're going to make tweaks as time goes on uh, through after action reviews and all that kind of stuff. We'll get, we'll get that stuff honed in. But if everybody shows up with a bias for action instead of playing off their, you know, prevent defense, playing off their heels, then fires tend to go much better. So, no, a thousand percent. And I would tell you this: you had me at bias for actions. You had max points at bias for action. My all-time favorite quote, and I, I know you haven't taken my class, but my all-time favorite quote in all of history is is General 
uh, Pat when he says a violent plan executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. And and yes. 100%, man. 100%. Yep. Max. Max points, no doubt about it. So, uh, question two. If you could go back in time and give Jay Bonifield one piece of advice as a rookie, what would it be? <laughs> Oh, I'll give Jay Bonifield some advice as a rookie. Um, man, I would say, um, I would say if I could give myself one piece of advice going backwards, it would be, uh, be more interested and be less interesting. Um, be more be more interested in um be, be like basically listen more right listen uh listen more and so i grew up in you know playing sports and um that's part of what drew me to the fire service was uh you know growing up in in weight rooms and and growing up in you know team atmospheres where every, yeah and and part of what came out of the backside of that, uh, was, um, I think sometimes I've struggled in my career to, um, maintain a balance. Like John Sparrow put out this quote the other day about being just funny enough to entertain your crew, but not so funny that you get sent to HR. Right. Uh, (laughs) I cannot tell you how, uh, how true that is for me. And so I think that that is something that, uh, and, and it, it has, been something throughout my career that uh just just personally i've failed at a a few times and i've gotten dude i've I've gotten dinged by it before and i think more like i i served a um i served a two shift suspension for it uh for you know joking around with the with the crew too much and and uh you know it ended up just you know we yeah we end up crossing some lines we shouldn't have. And it's something I look back with, with the deepest of regrets. And, uh, you know, I think I didn't, I don't realize sometimes when we're joking around, like, Oh man, I, I, uh, I, I might be alienating some of my crew members here and, and not really realizing it. And so I think that that's something just being super hard on myself. Introspective is going backwards is be more interested and be less interest, be less focused on being interesting, be more focused on being interested. I like it. I like it. And it sounds like you have some experience to go with it. Number three, what is your favorite training drill? Favorite training drill. Um, this might come as a, a little bit of a shocker because we, um, we've been talking about like hose and nozzle stuff, but I think my, my favorite training drill is uh, when – I'm working on a ladder and we take the ladder out and we empty all the ladders. We do the aluminum forest as fast as we can. Every ladder up fully extended as fast as we can. Uh, and the reason why I like that is because like, um, it's just, it's a good, it's a good workout. It's kind of a, put your head down and work. You don't really have to think about it a whole lot. Like you're just, you're just getting after it, chucking ladders all over the place. And you, you know, you, everybody, it's kind of a good way to, uh, be super competitive with each other. And like, you can, you know, heckle somebody if they can't tip the 35 up by themselves and all that kind of stuff and right so, on. you know you, it just builds good camaraderie uh it's a good skill drill and um you know man for me hose is easy to go out and i get to 
I get to mess around with the uh, hose and, and nozzles and stuff like that all the time. And so it's something I find like, um, I just, I do it a lot and ladders are something where all of a sudden wake up some day, some days on shift and be like, I haven't touched a ladder for a while. And so that's been, that's been something that's one of my favorites. I, I, I will not lie. I was surprised by the answer. I thought that was a given already. And so max points, 100% for the, for the curveball. But I absolutely, absolutely love and respect your uh, reasoning behind it. Number four, what mistake have you learned the most from in your Fiverr fire service career? <clears throat> mistake have I learned the most from? Um, I, I, uh, I think the mistake that I've learned the most from is um, letting letting the fire service become too much of who I was, I think is the, the biggest mistake that I've learned from. Uh, I had a, I had a buddy, um, big city Schmitty, I call him, but he, uh, Brent, he's been one of my best buddies for forever. Um, and so like our families are really close. Our wives are really close and stuff like that. Um, and he said something to me a long time ago when we were trying, we were both trying to get hired full time and, uh, we were just, you know, killing ourselves trying to get hired. Like both of us were working two or three jobs and, you know, working part time at the fire department together and stuff. And, and, um, he ended up, um, he ended up, uh, um, taking a, taking another job somewhere and we we're just kind of wondering like, Oh man, what, like what's going on? Why are you slowing the pace on testing and stuff? And he said, dude, uh, I could fall off a ladder tomorrow and the fire service would be gone forever, but my wife would still be there. Yeah. Uh, that's what matters. And that impacted me in ways like I can't, and I've told him this a bunch of times and he knows, but that impacted me in ways like I, I, it just was like, right. Because all I was thinking about was like, I got to get this job and like the fire service and, um, Man, and then you know, get the job, and uh, you know, getting into it, and I love the training stuff, and I love diving into all this kind of stuff, um, and and just you know, hitting points where I gotta like you know, check in with myself, and and really, what it's come through is a, a lot of like, you know, kind of nudges from my wife about like, you know, hey, you you sound like you care more about work than you do about you know about us. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is like one of the most painful things, um, you know, one of the most painful things I could, I could ever hear, but it's like, Hey dude, put your money where your mouth is. Like, if that's a perception, that's reality. Right. It doesn't matter. I can say till I'm blue in the face, but like, no, I, I care way more for my family and care way more for my wife and my kids than than I do the, the fire service. Right. But like, what does my time bank show? Right. What is my, am I plugged in on my phone looking at stuff? Am I answering phone calls and emails and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And there, like, there's a balance, right? There's good to, it's good to go and invest in, in the fire service. But if you don't watch it and that fire service becomes a good chunk of who you are, then you're at, you're way out of balance. And, uh, that's just something I'm, I'm not, I'm not willing to do. So, um, if I'm going to say that my wife and my kids come first, then they need to come first by a, a, a country mile, so yes. that it's unmistakable, yes. right? I, I don't even want it to be close. So, um, you know, I love this job. It's the best job for me, but this job is going to come to an end at some point, and they're going to keep on, you know, I'm, I'm still going to be a husband, still going to be a father. And so that's that's where I'm putting my eggs in my basket. 
Dude, that's one of the best answers I've heard to that in a long, long time. Uh, Max points 100% on question four. Final question, number five. You've had it before because it has not changed. Heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Dude, yeah, we're, we're, of course we're taking that nozzle. Of course. (laughs) Just checking. I had to go back and listen to 83 to see if it was going to be congruent. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even waiting for it. No, I'm not even waiting for the assignment. I'm I'm turning my radio off and we're going in. (laughs) 100%. There it is. Max points on number five. That is the five questions for firefighters. Uh, The next five questions for firefighters, according to Jay Bonifield, and that officially makes it 162 scraps in the books. My friend, Jay, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they do so? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, no, I, I really appreciate you having me on. It's been great as always. Like I said, we can, you know, you said it at the beginning, we could sit here and talk and get in the weeds for hours. So, uh, that's still true, man. Um, but yeah, if people want to get a hold of me, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on Facebook, uh, and that's, that's kind of it. So get a hold of me through there. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, kind of the gist of it. I'm, I'm, uh, I live out here in the middle of the woods, man. We just got internet out here, so we're we're uh, not super not super easy to get, not super plugged in. Right on. Well, I appreciate you having the internet so that you can give me your evening, even though I know you have a lot of obligations, brother. It means a lot to me that you would you would give up your evening. And I want you to know that there is a we got to actually get to the topics we were going to talk about. So I'm going to have you back yet again. I promise you. Let's uh, do it, man. I love it, brother, man. Seriously, one uh, this uh, already is one of the. Uh, I always feel that way because of recency and primacy, but I always feel like, man, this was such a great scrap. Um, Zach King, once you know, tell Jay he will always be my number one last call. <laughs> Rob Fisher wanted you to know to try to be original, Jay. So, try to be original. You try to be it. original. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll I'll, uh, I'll take that one, Robbie. Lots of love. Okay, uh, everybody out there, go to firehousevigilance.com. Man, I, did, I, I should have brought, did I bring a copy of the book in here? No, I didn't. All right, so, but it is live. Uh, I'm super proud of it. It has been shipping. I like, this one it. says not for resale, but I actually, the actual books are in. I've been shipping them all day long, stuffing them in the envelopes. I've been signing them and sending them out. Uh, I'm super proud of it. I, it is, it is a, I'm biased, but it's a phenomenal book. Uh, but, uh, so please, man, go to firehousevigilance.com. If you want to copy of the book, the newest thing is this. If you rate the book on Amazon or any place you can rate a book, but I'm pretty sure Amazon is the only one that really matters. But if you rate the book and give it five stars, take a screenshot, send it to me. Just like the podcast, I'm bribing everybody out there. Send me a screenshot and I will send you stickers, whatever stickers you want. I will send you a sticker pack. Mutts don't scrap, etc. Um, the five five pack sticker pack because hundred percent the ratings actually help out a ton. The vigilantes they are live, man. The vigilantes. Here's the crazy part. I went to do uh, math the other day, and the vigilantes has actually been around for a year, which is it's kind of mind blowing. The fact that the vigilantes has been around for a year. So I was like, what can I do? What can be done to to recognize? So for people who have been vigilantes for a year we're going to make a special coin right now we're discussing what are the values and what do we want to put on the coin but the only way to get that coin will be to be a vigilante for a year if you've been one for a month 
doesn't matter. You can't you can't have the coin. When you've been a vigilante for a year, you can get that that original coin. So I think that's really cool. And we're still trying to kind of decide it. But anyway, if you want to be a vigilante, go to uh, firehousevigilance.com. All the information is there. It's not too late for the forum that's coming up at the end of the month where we're going to discuss on combat. Although you better be a really fast reader because you got like 10 days to read that entire book and it's big uh, and then discuss it with us if you are a vigilante. So all the housekeeping done. Uh, on to Go ahead. Go to Blinkist. You'll get Blink, it. Now. Yeah, just get the notes. <laughs> um, killer lineup of 2022 continues. Uh, Jay Bonifield, I don't know if anybody wants to actually follow you up, but it just it just keeps on rocking and rolling. It does not get any better. Um, see, I said all that. I said all that. I said all that. Love my sponsors. Uh, Keyhoes, Affordable Drill Towers, the uh, uh, Speedswivel.com, and of course, Fit to fight fire. My brother, Jay Bonifield, I hope you will come back and visit and spend another evening with me at some point in the future. Dude, I would love to. Man, anytime I can talk, uh, anytime I can talk to you, Corley. We're uh, we're in for it. We're in for the long haul. I I have my last cup of coffee at 3. That's usually my hard cutoff is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, I think... I think it was a little extra. Um, I think it was a little extra thick today. Had that so, double shot in it. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was definitely had me had me cruising here. So no matter what, I really am. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna really focus in on the questions and the and the outline. I wish I could post the outline, but uh, <laughs> audience, I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Uh, you guys took over the show from the beginning and turned this into an amazing scrap because your questions were spot on. And you combine your questions with Jay's articulation and uh, just general sexiness. Let's just be honest. And boom, you have a mega scrap uh, that's unbelievable. So I love you all. That's all I got. You make the scrap magical. Thank you for tuning in live. Remember, mutts don't scrap. I hope the tone stays silent unless it is burning. Everybody stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the weekly scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.